0: OK, I'm actually just getting to the stage with this podcast that I cannot believe that this gets to be my actual job, that gets it gets to be part of my actual job, where I get to talk to all of these fantastic people, because one conversation is just as good as the next lately. And in today's episode, I talk to an absolutely fantastic lady called Sharon Clernan. Sharon is a cognitive behavioral therapist based in County Cork. Um, she her she has a background in psychiatric nursing, and has worked in the um, HSE, which is the Irish Health Service, um, for many years, and has since gone and um, built her own private practice. And she works with people and. Um, doing cognitive behavioral therapy with people with anxiety depression all sorts of different mental health disorders um, and she works with people in person and online through zoom so um her the name of her business is mind clinic and um, i'll put the details in the show notes anyway so if you do want to contact her um, about anything you can because she is absolutely fantastic you're going to love her and um, we talk about everything from first of all we talk about her background We talk about cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy itself and what it is and what you can do. And we talk a little bit. It turns into a little bit of a Kate therapy session for a minute where we talk about my past with anxiety a little bit. And she gives her professional slant on it, which is amazing. And we talk about motherhood. We talk about business. We talk about the tools that we can put into everyday life and how you can literally CBT yourself through life. Um, And it was just a fantastic conversation. She's brilliant. And I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did.
1: Sharon welcome to the podcast. Hi Kate thanks very much for having me on.
0: I'm so excited for this um, conversation I'm going to try really hard now not to make it into like uh, Kate's therapy session (laughs) but um, I have so many questions to ask you but first of all I suppose do you want to start and just tell everyone a little bit about you what you do kind of what's got you to where you are today that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, um, so my name is Sharon Clurnan, and I'm the owner of Mindview Clinic, so it's a cognitive behavioral therapy practice based in Kentork County, Cork, and I provide um, online and face-to-face cognitive behavioral therapy, and I also do um, mental health talks and workshops for corporate companies and other organizations and schools as well, and so... My background is mental health nursing, so I have over 20 years experience working um, with people who experience mental health problems, and I qualified as a CBT therapist, jeez, I don't know, was it 2015, and then I started my private practice part-time while working as a clinical nurse specialist in cognitive behavioural therapy in the HSE um, and then I had, um, when I have four boys, so after my fourth boy, I went back um, and I was still doing two jobs. So I was working full time as a clinical nurse specialist. Um, and I was also working part time as a CBT therapist privately. So after my fourth child, I was like, right, I need to make a decision here um, on what I'm going to do. So I started up an Instagram page, I rebranded my business name to Mindview Clinic and everything just took off from there got really really busy and then I was like right I need to make a decision am I going to go privately full-time or will I stay in the HSC and I took the leap almost two years ago now coming up in September and um, since then I've been working full-time at Mindview Clinic and um, I'm actually on a career break from the HSC so uh, it's the second year I've took taking a five-year career break but uh, things are going really well so at the moment i'm extremely happy
0: that's amazing and that i'm on a career break from am not from not from the hse from the department of education so i'm on oh, i'm going into my second year career break as a teacher oh, yeah yeah oh, that's brilliant Isn't oh, it great that's to be awesome. able to be in a position to do that though you know to be able to kind of explore and be like look i have that safety net there um and see how i
1: get on yeah because it's very experimental isn't it like at the yeah. start like it was a massive decision f- for me and I'm sure it was for you and I went to a business coach and everything and yeah I, me too I head wrecked and everyone's head wrecked what I do and at the end of the day it's really your own decision isn't it and it's what's best for you and your family
0: yeah and it's a very hard decision to make as well when you do have a family because you have you know you have that guilt you're like are we are we going to have to draw, like make financial sacrifices in order to do this? And then you are you kind of feel guilty. Are you depriving your kids of things? And um, you've all this kind of stuff going on. And then there's, you know, people will chime in and give you their opinions. Oh, maybe you shouldn't do that. You know People are kind of quick to talk you away from risk. But I think it's so worth it. And when I, and I'm at the stage that I'm at now that I think it's really cool that my kids get to see me work and get to see yeah. me build something, which is cool.
1: Yeah definitely and and like that you know I had to CBT myself a lot of the time because you get a lot of people saying what about the pension and I'm like oh come here I have to hear I have to go with the here and now not in like years to come you know so like yeah. that is, it is a risk but it's a risk I am so happy I, I took because it's like that like I, I think the fear can hold people back and then you might miss opportunities yeah. and when I left I got massive opportunities with you know doing workshops and delivering talks that you know I wouldn't have probably done because I wouldn't have had the time or the opportunity to say yes yeah so
0: please oh my mind has gone blank I was going to ask you something about something you had said there but um anyway I'll I'll come back to I'll circle back to it if if I think of it but uh, just in relation to like you the amount of experience you have there like psychiatric nursing like within the hse like that must have been pretty intense
1: yeah so i did my nurse training in edinburgh actually so the the point system came out when i did my leaving search and there wasn't a chance or hope in hell that i was going to get the points for nursing so i did a pre-nursing course and then i moved to edinburgh and did my degree over there and came back to ireland then because um my husband now was living in Ireland so he brought me back here and um yeah like i have worked in all different areas of um of the mental health service so i've worked in acute wards um secure units um long stay residential units um i worked as a crisis nurse so i would have seen people who would um attempted suicide or um deliberate self-harm in an A&E department I would have worked in psych liaison um home-based crisis team and then my final post was working as a clinical nurse specialist in cognitive behavioral therapy but you know what it has really I suppose developed me to be able to run my own private practice fairly comprehensively because I'm able to provide like really comprehensive mental health assessments for people so it's not even around the cbt like you're still looking for other things and sometimes cbt mightn't be the most appropriate approach for that person so you are able to provide that service to give them your professional opinion on where they need to go at that time so it's from it's not from the education as such obviously that's really a a component but it's from all the experience that i've gathered over the years more than anything so risk would have been a massive thing that I would have worked in working as a crisis nurse and um, working a home based crisis team, and it's amazing then how like you'd really check in on that um, in in your assessments. So do you know it's 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 all from experience, and like I really love what I do, and that just helps massively then as well. Yeah, like that wealth of experience,
0: like you act like you couldn't put a price on that to be able to take that experience then to your own practice like did is it what happened with you that you were at a certain stage where you were you were working within the system and you were treating people for already existing illnesses so you were helping them and then you got to a point and you were like I want to be part of the the preventative solution is that what happened you were like rather than getting looking after people who have gotten to this stage I want to try and prevent people from getting to this stage
1: yeah I suppose therapy is a little bit different like when I worked as clinical like we'll say in the service providing CBT so it was very much a therapy post so yeah. it, was, it was different in the sense of treating people as a nurse say so you were very much kind of specialized as a therapist rather than
0: oh, you know okay. A
1: nurse okay yeah yeah so I suppose from that that side of things and then when I started off on my own like, I had lots of experience developed and working within a multidisciplinary team. So, like, you're getting knowledge from different disciplines, then as well. Yeah. So, often people go for therapy and you are in the preventative stage of, you know, maybe they mightn't need medication then, or maybe they mightn't need secondary mental health care because they've accessed private services. You know, so the preventative, yeah, can definitely help from that point of view. Cause I suppose sometimes, you know, I think we can all be a bit, um, guilty well i don't know if guilty is the right word but it can happen us where we might get to the stage of burnout and then because we might know the signs of when we might need to access the mental health services or some type of a service for our health and i suppose true cbt that can be that can really really help people because i suppose they're learning really around themselves learning around their thoughts how how they feel their behaviors and also then like when I'd be finishing up with clients, we do relapse prevention work, and like that, as you said, the preventative work like that can that can really help the person then from relapsing um further on after treatment, if that makes sense.
0: yeah, let's talk a little bit about c b t um uh, because see, I did c b t back in my early twenties, um I had quite a serious kind of bout of kind of of anxiety and panic disorder and was kind of constant cycles of panic attacks and I kind of managed to somehow struggle my way through my life but it went on for a solid geez I can't even remember solid three or four years really you know and Mm -hmm. then even in the years after that it would be very much have been kind of management of it which I suppose was the result of the CBT but it's funny I think back and I can't remember a lot of what was actually done with me If that makes sense. You know, like I remember I loved my therapist and she was fantastic and she made me she helped me to think in ways that I was unable to think I was very much black and white thinking at that stage. This is the way I am. I am a victim of this. Other people don't understand they you know it's not like that for them you know and like I believed that people were lucky or they were unlucky or that you know they were this or they were that and she really helped me change my mindset but in the act the actual steps of like CBT I don't remember the details so I suppose first of all do you want to tell any for everyone who does anyone who doesn't know what does CBT stand for and what is it about really
1: yeah I'm sorry that you experienced that that must have been really difficult because anxiety is difficult um but I'm glad that you had that experience yeah but it's funny
0: I I actually think I like I think back on it now and it's made me so much stronger it 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 changed me as a person and I look mm -hmm. back on it now and I was like it was to happen for a reason and because it my whole life took a different course because of it in a good way yeah
1: yeah because we do grow from difficult experiences don't we yeah and I suppose answer your question there with cognitive behavioral therapy so like like that like the cognitive part really i always say it's a posh word for our thoughts and our understanding of situations and then the behaviors is how we're engaging in certain behaviors because of the way that we're thinking and feeling at that time and the therapy then is the treatment that is provided um with cbt so basically with cognitive behavioral therapy Um, It is what we think, how we think and feel can affect the way we behave. So, for example, if we're not feeling great, you know, we may look at situations in a more negative way. So what CBT would say is it's how we perceive situations. So if we're feeling anxious, a lot of the time our perception of situations, let's say, for example, people with panic, you know, going into a shop may be a trigger for that person so that could be like in their thoughts that could be the threat or the danger you know it's the what ifs you know what if I get a panic attack in the shop or what if I meet someone that I don't want to talk to or I can't cope or things like that and then that can reinforce that anxiety and then for lots of people unfortunately because of the physical symptoms of anxiety can be so extreme So, for example, people might have their heart beating faster, breathing dysregulated, butterflies in your belly, um, chest tightening, nausea. There can be so many anxiety symptoms. So they can get really intense for people. And the behaviors then, because of all of that, could be total avoidance. They just stop doing things that they used to do because of anxiety. And then they're depriving themselves of the nice things or the things that they used to enjoy or for some people, then they might leave situations or scan around where's my exit and I'm out of here when I'm feeling like this. So I suppose a lot of the time, people's confidence and self-esteem really lowers because of the way that they're feeling in themselves. And I suppose what cognitive behavioral therapy does is, when I'm working with people is, I suppose initially we do an assessment and make sense of the person's presenting problems and what their goals are for treatment. So it's very much focused on the presenting problems the person has and what their therapy goals are. And it's very collaborative, you know, where we work together. Um, and I suppose there is work then in between the sessions. So they call that homework. I didn't really like homework in school, so I always <laughs> say work in between the sessions. And basically like treatment is based on the, on, on that, on what the person wants at the end of treatment. So we'll say the first thing we would do is the assessment and then um, formulate a greater understanding of their problems. So let's say if it is anxiety, we'd look and, I suppose, explore what their thoughts are, how they're feeling, their physical sensations and their behaviours. And then from there, we we gather treatment from that. But a lot of the time with, with anxiety, and I'm sure you might have learned this through your journey with it, it's exposure work is key where you're facing the feared situation but lots of times people need support with that through a therapist to help them through that journey yeah would would that have been something that you would have had to do with your treatment for panic in terms of the exposure work or it's yeah it's
0: funny like what I did um like in relation to like my very very first panic attack happened when we when I was 21 I had just finished college and I I had got a job and I was starting the job in September the teaching job and we I was in Dingle with my family and we were just walking around the town and like that suddenly just out of nowhere like you know felt like completely out of my body and then obviously that caused me severe I thought I was dying or fainting or something I didn't know what was wrong with me at this stage and then because of that then you know shaking and then chest tightening all that kind of stuff. wasn't able to breathe properly literally thought I was having a heart attack or something or other you know and then mm-hmm. th- then the next time it happened it, it went away then like I went to the doctor got checked you uh, it must have been low blood pressure or something you know they didn't mm-hmm. think much of it and I had been drinking the night before so it was I had a bit of a hangover so I was like oh maybe it was just low blood sugar so that was but like I got such a fright but then the next time it happened happened when like that october and I had started my new job. So this was back in 2007. I had started my new job and I was driving down the motorway. Now it was only a 20 minute drive from home on the motorway and it happened again. And I had to pull over at the side of the road and I rang my dad. My dad came to rescue me and he was like, what do you, what, what should I do? Like, what will we do? Do I have to bring you home now? Or are you go to work? And it's funny, like I came from, like I say, I came from a family where, where it was like, you know, you don't you don't quit things you don't you know you all you're like you don't let other people down but then there was also a little bit i probably took a lot more of that on myself so i constantly pushed myself through things so i actually went to work that day and yeah. I literally lived like in I mentally tortured myself for a solid two years where I made myself go to work. I used to dread driving to work. I often had to pull over several times. Like I probably shouldn't have been driving. When I think back in it now. But um, and, you know, coming into the classroom and certain situ like I'd be fine in certain situations. And then like yard duty was a huge thing for me, like standing there and all these kids running around like you know it's like sensory overload and the wide open space like it, I and I kind of fi- position myself near a wall that'd be fine if another adult came over to talk to me the actual focus of having to like speak to that person and everything going on around me would, would trigger a panic attack like and I'd feel like oh my god I need to sit down that kind you know there was little mm. things but I constantly always pushed myself in it but I think it I don't think it helped because I think I need I, ha- I think I had got myself to the stage of Anxiety that I got to gotten to by burnout, which we could talk about after. But mm. I think i nearly burnt myself out, had created this imbalance in my brain because of that. Now you can tell me I could be completely wrong. This is just my own experience. There's no medical <laughs> um evidence behind this, I suppose, but that I know of, but um that yeah, I had created this for myself so that but then I just kept pushing through. It. And I think I actually needed to stop for a while, and mm. I didn't, and I think I made it harder for myself in that way. But then it took me years after everything stopped. Even now, sometimes when I'm driving, like tomorrow now I'm going to Limerick with the kids and I'd be a little bit like, oh, I'm driving now down to Limerick by myself with the kids. It could be grand. But yeah. it, it's just a slight little thing in the back of my brain that I'm still so traumatized from that. So I never did that. I, I think like as I was still living at home when it happened, I don't think I was allowed to stop. I remember my mum saying, well, like, what are you going to do? Um, quit your job and then we'll have to look after you you know just kind of old school Irish kind of way but like that was and you know but I needed like I wonder what would have happened to me had I just allowed allowed myself now my husband who was my boyfriend at the time was the other side whereas he really looked after me and we could have been in a crowded room he was the only one who would know I was having a panic attack and I was so lucky to have him on the other side of things so I had that balance but that's a really long way to answer your question. I did. I didn't really avoid because I and I was such a people pleaser that I was like, I was t- would have been terrified to let people down. So instead, yeah. I kind of destroyed myself further.
1: But, you know, on the other side of it, though, it is brilliant that you stayed. you stayed going in terms of the exposure, because if you didn't go, well, then it could have deteriorated the other way. But yeah. it, I wonder just to check in with you there now. You know, the way, like you were saying, you still persisted with with going to school. And I think that's really good. But I wonder, was there any, like what we call in CBT land is um, subtle safety behaviours. And what that means is that you'd use different behaviours that may be subtle that people might notice. So you may, you know, scan for exits or stay near a door or sit somewhere. I would always need to know that there was somewhere to sit. Yeah. So that's like with yard
0: yeah. duty, I'd be like, I'd have to be somewhere where I knew there was the windowsill there. So I did, wouldn't have to be like, oh you know, like, um, yeah. uh, one big thing for me that what I used to find really hard, I was, um, I'm from Bray County Wicklow originally. So, um, like I remember like walking down Bray main street, like a busy town street. I like, I couldn't cope with it that I would avoid because there was no safety things that I could do. Whereas I've like, at least like on the motorway. And I'm driving. I can pull into the hard shoulder now. If there was a part of the motorway where there's that it wasn't safe to pull in, that would frighten me. I'm like, I've nowhere to pull in, you know. Yeah. Or like the classroom was fine because I had my desk and I I felt safe at the classroom. Like I rarely had a panic attack when I was in the classroom with the kids. Funnily enough, because I felt safe there.
1: Yeah.
0: It yeah, and it was, but it was yeah at exits as well, like that. So yeah, knowing if I was in a room, but for me, it was nearly more open spaces. Okay. And what was the, like
1: the threat around an open space for you?
0: It just triggered something in my brain. Like it would, you know, it would trigger that out of body feeling. And I don't know, was it the sensory overload? And I think that was as well with the driving, you know, the way in a motorway, you've got so much, it's wide and you can see so mm. much. Um, like, like we particularly bad on the M50 because there's so many cars everywhere, like wouldn't have been quite as bad. But I think with like the everything going on around me at the same time, used to like trigger something in my brain like I don't know so
1: what did you think was going to happen
0: I didn't think anything was going to happen I it would just it would trigger a panic attack like I would go completely out of body and I would like literally yeah I would go completely out of body and then I wouldn't be able to breathe and yeah so I was afraid of the panic attacks
1: yeah. So that was that yeah. that was what you thought was going to happen, like in terms of like, what if I get a panic attack and what if I can't breathe?
0: Yeah. So my whole fear, like once we had done like we had, I mean, obviously, you know, anyone who's been through panic attacks will have gone through the stages of having to get the heart monitor and get all the scans done. And like I knew we knew what it was at that stage. Yeah. Um, but it took a long time to get to that stage. And we knew what it once We knew what it was. I was then just afraid of the panic attacks, but I didn't start CBT straight mm-hmm. away because my GP was like, when I, by the time I, he actually diagnosed me with panic disorder, he was mm. like, you're not ready for CBT yet. So he put me on Lexapro, okay, put me on five milligrams of, of Lexapro and he said, we'll give it six weeks and then you'll start CBT
1: okay so by the and six weeks
0: say, oh sorry yeah
1: no,
0: no 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 I was just saying by the six weeks I had started to feel better it wasn't happening automatically anymore because the levels of my brain had obviously started to go up but I still feared all of these situations like I was traumatized from it all so that that's when the CBT came in like would have been yeah having to work through those fears around having
1: more panic attacks and what, did, just out of curiosity, what did you think was going to happen if you couldn't breathe? What was the worst thing about that bodily sensation? Uh, yeah, like I I suppose I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I just, Look yeah. That, right. So with panic. So it starts off like that. As I'm here now thinking of the, the CBT model for panic because there's all different models of treatment. So like that, you know, the way you described in Dingle, it came out of the blue. Yeah. Like off, often people think that like there was no trigger, but there usually is when, when we kind of tease it out. So it can be an internal or an external trigger. So it could be like your heart starting to faster or and then the automatic thought comes in, or oh, what if I'm gonna get a panic attack? And that leads then to the anxiety. And then the the bodily sensations start going for some people, like they might get numbness as well. That can be a really common one, or shakiness, or like that, the heart beating faster. And then the belief or the catastrophic misinterpretation, that's what we call it. So basically it's what we think will happen because of that bodily sensation is, as you said, I'm going to die. So that actually brings on, that's the full blown panic attack cultivated there. And that's when people then start engaging in the behaviors of maybe avoidance because of the fear of having a panic attack. Or for you, it's interesting because that's why I was checking in. Was there other behaviors there? like do you know the way you were saying like scanning or looking where you were gonna sit like them kind of things are safety behaviors because if you're able to have them well then I know I'll be okay but it's like they're short-term relief then for people yeah and like long-term it's not really allowing that person to have the faith that they can actually manage a panic attack
0: do you know yeah. so
1: I'm sure you probably had that experience with CBT it can like I love treating panic it's my favorite um <laughs> it's my favorite, one. My favorite
0: um, one panic is my favorite but yeah no it did but it did it limited my early 20s in the sense that like my best friend and her boyfriend were going to Australia me and Dave could have gone but I couldn't go like I, I couldn't go at that time because I, wa- I wasn't well enough like I just so I never did so we never traveled and then I ended up having my son mm-hmm. when I was 23 so um yeah so we never did that but um but we'll do we'll do it in our 40s now and maybe towards our late 40s and we'll do it proper we'll do it in style yeah (laughs) we'll enjoy it more. but it did like you know there was no way um that I would have been a we had done a trip to New York and it was an absolute disaster I but it was getting to the stage I was getting so stressed with it as well this is turning into a k-therapy session we'll take a turn now in a minute of this but that like the thoughts in my mind like I felt like I was losing my mind I I never like I never had like depressive thoughts or like suicidal thoughts or anything like that but I felt like I was losing control of Mm -hmm. my mind and that panicked Mm -hmm. me even more so like it was just turning into this constant just cycle of it was just yeah Yeah.
1: and that's a really common one as well is that I'm going to lose my mind or lose control you know that could be another catastrophic misinterpretation of the bodily sensations yeah Um, and it can be a massive one that then I suppose you're depriving yourself then of things like you said you'd like to have traveled yeah and you know it's a shame that that didn't happen but like as you said it will happen and you know like maybe you're in a better place because sometimes then like that people can often have this thing why didn't I you know get treatment earlier or why didn't I do this and like my answer to that for people is maybe you weren't ready at that time yeah Exactly. no that kind of way because that can yeah. lead to a lot of regret for some people that they didn't do certain things in their life but there's always a reason for that yeah.
0: but I also I also feel that yeah that there's there's not really much point in kind of dwelling in the past there and just being like mm-hmm. okay it happened And like that I look back in it now and like there's probably st- still some kind of little paper like when I get stressed you know I feel you know I, it's still something that I would have to manage like I don't need to be on any medication haven't been for a very long time um mm-hmm. Uh, but, and I manage it all very well, but it is, you know, it's something that, that I do have to watch. And I've lost my train of thought again. What, what what were you saying there first? About, you were saying that about not looking back and regretting it. Yes, exactly. And so then, so now I look back and I'm like, okay, this happened, but this is what I've learned from it. And this is what I've learned about myself. And I, and I just move forward with it. And I'm like, there's no point to be like, you know, it, it, that's what happened. But like that, um, I probably feel like I'm more self-aware than I ever would have been if, if that hadn't have happened. And, um, and it's taken me on a pretty cool journey and when we do get to go and travel, it's going to be amazing because we'll have more money because we won't be broke 21 year olds and we'll have more sense and we won't just be drinking the whole time and not remembering what we're doing. So, um, it'd be lovely. <laughs>
1: yeah and like that as we said at the start you know you do grow and learn from the crappy experiences that we can all have in our lives you know rather than looking back it's about kind of looking forward and seeing what you have learned from it so you know as you said it's the awareness as well yeah yeah no definitely and age I'd say for you know as you get older I think we you get a little bit wiser too
0: don't you yeah definitely definitely um I wanted to actually ask you then, will we talk a little bit about burnout? Because it's funny, this is something that I keep hearing about a lot in um, podcasts I'm listening to lately. And, you know, I I feel like it's like a buzzword now, Um, like within the wellness industry. I want to talk about the wellness industry as well, but um, (laughs) with burnout. And it's something that I fear a little bit myself sometimes, because I do think that that's is what kind of caused things for me in the first place because I have this tendency to like just work 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 really like push myself too hard and um I know it's that's a real personality thing and there'll be people listening who can really relate to that so Mm. what is burnout is it as much of a thing as we're being told on social media and what should we be doing and not be doing
1: yeah and like I suppose as you said awareness is key really so like with burnout it's about noticing your signs so I suppose like you might obviously be more stressed out you might be more irritable towards yourself or other people you um might your moods might be up and down you might be have higher anxiety um, sleep disturbance um, lacking concentration, not being able to really focus on a task, and you could be trying to do loads of things but not getting anything done. There could be procrastinating behavior there as well, sleep disturbance. Um, you might be more restless, um, or you might be just wrecked and fatigued. Like I suppose you know, the thing with burnout is like we can, I suppose it might start off a little bit as stress, and a little bit of stress can be good for us, it can drive us on. But then I suppose if we're getting prolonged stress, whether it's in our job or personal life or um, whatever is going on for us, you know, I suppose that's when burnout actually happens. So it's about kind of looking at your signs. So there's a thing called like what we would do in CBT is looking at early warning signs. So for some people and whoever's listening to this, there could be early warning signs in that. And also another early warning sign for people might be lacking appetite or overeating because of their emotions so sometimes people might not eat at all or they might overeat because of the way they're feeling in themselves so them symptoms and I'm sure there's more that I'm not thinking about right now but they're they're the ones that are coming to my mind and another thing is it's lacking motivation so for some people they might think have this thought of I'm just lazy but that may not be the facts of the situation it could be because they're absolutely wrecked from everything that they're doing in their lives and I suppose from that they may deprive themselves of doing things that they get pleasure or achievement out of so they may stop you know meeting up with people or you know having the conversations which um with their peers colleagues or friends and um, they might start withdrawing um self isolating you know and and not socializing or and and the thing about that is like short term the person might think oh I just need some time on my own but long term that may not be helpful for that person if they're doing that behavior a lot so for burnout that can lead to, it can for some people it can lead to depression um, and for other people are anxiety because I suppose the thing about it is if we're not getting pleasure in our life or if our drive for life is lower well then that's not going to help our moods Uh, That's
0: exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say it sounds a lot like chronic anxiety, really.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, like I suppose the thing with anxiety and depression is they can hit off each other. So if if someone is experiencing depression, it can be when they do go out, then their anxiety can be higher. Yeah. Or vice versa. You know, like, you know, if they go out and their anxiety is higher, it can affect their moods. So anxiety and depression can really hit off each other in that sense. Um, but I suppose with burnout, it is about noticing the signs, but also a lot of the time it's people that we're living with, so our partners or our friends or, or family or whatever, they might notice it more than the individual themselves.
0: Yeah. So they just when you're stressed, it. you tend not to go, you're like caught up in it, you don't even notice.
1: Yeah, and you'll take it out probably in the nearest and dearest more than anyone else, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Um But you're right, I think especially, you know, we would have have spoke about this, Kate, in our voice notes together, is like being a mom and working and juggling a house and everything. Like burnout could be easily hit at that point then. Yeah. You know, so it is about kind of mind yourself as much as you can.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I heard on a podcast, uh, when it was only someone's opinion, um, saying that you can't get burnout if you're doing something that intrinsically you really want to do. Is that true? Um, what do they mean by that? Is that like, let's take an example, like just say I was still kind of trying to, you know, balance my household and do like, and work in a job that I hate and, you know, and then, so I'm working long hours in a job for something that it doesn't really fulfill me. And obviously, you know, you know, raising a family is fulfilling, but it's also really stressful. Um, but then let's say t- t- take maybe then I've left my job and I'm I'm building my own business. And like, for example, my business. And it's something that, you know, it is me. It's like it's it makes it fills me up with so much joy. I could work into the early like I could just work all night instead of watching TV. And I would never have done that as a teacher. Like I would rather um like I, like I would just literally get t- bits done last minute. I would never work at nighttime, whereas now I could because I love it. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel tiring to me, but yeah. then I wonder. But then that's what that's and I had heard that that one if if it's re- if what you're doing is really fulfilling, you it, you're not going to burn out. But then I thought, or
1: or could I? <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose we're not robots; like we're human beings, yeah. and like like you, I really love my job as well. But there is only so much that the candle can take, you know, where burnout does happen, and like. I, I was on holidays um, geez we're back over a week now it feels like years ago now but before I went I definitely knew I needed I needed a break I needed a holiday and like that I'm running my business full-time I really really love it I'm very passionate about mental health and I could talk like about this all day and like that I have a busy house as well but I love that too but there's stress involved on both sides so like everybody is exposed to stress in their life like there's nobody that's exempt from stress or anxiety to some level they're normal human emotions and I think people that think that they can go on and do everything like that you know and not get burnt out may not have awareness or insight of what actually burnout is because I knew my holiday was coming up and I don't know about you but when you know there's a holiday coming up you actually get more tired
0: yeah <laughs> because worried. you're you're working extra hard so that you can take the holiday <laughs>
1: exactly exactly and you know there was only so, there is only so much that we can keep going so I don't know how accurate that is but in my opinion and professionally I don't think that we're robots we're human beings and there is only so much any of us can take in our lives
0: yeah I would imagine so too and like this would kind of bring me on to kind of a little bit of like you know like my program what I would do a lot with a lot of the ladies that I work with there's a huge mindset part to the program and about like creating that space for you and how important that is and so this ties into I suppose talking a little bit about the wellness industry which I know can be toxic in some ways but there's some good things to take from it so I suppose uh before we kind of dive into that what kind of practices presuming now that we don't have any mental health issues but what kind of practices can we put in place in our everyday lives to prevent that kind of burnout to get that balance in our lives like what what would you recommend to people
1: yeah so like i'd always say like i'd be cbt myself away because like cbt just doesn't like it, our brain can be really really tricky so like literally like Everything we think, we tend to believe it straight away. So what CBT does is helps people to step back and actually evaluate your thoughts. Is this actually a fact or is this an opinion? And this is a really, really good strategy for all of us. And it's something I have to do and I'm working at this every day. You know, like we're not, you know... Everyone needs strategies to kind of help themselves. Just because someone has done a course of CBT doesn't mean they don't have to do any more. Like, this is an ongoing thing. And it's an ongoing thing, obviously, for me as well, because like that, we're human beings. And I suppose that's one strategy that can be really, really helpful is noticing what you're thinking. So let's say, like, everything we think, like, everything that comes into our head is automatic. So we've no control over what pops into our head. So all our thoughts are automatic. And like we all experience between 70 to 100,000 thoughts a day. But if we're at like stressed or like at the end of burnout or at burnout or whatever, like we may look at situations in a more negative way. Like I can't cope. Usually like people experience that thought when they're stressed, Um, you know, I'm not able or things like that. But in actual fact, it's about looking at everything that, that you have coped with, you know, because I suppose we can really get into tunnel vision. So a lot of the time, if we're not feeling great in ourselves, um, we might experience more unhelpful thinking patterns. So we might be catastrophizing, like thinking the worst is going to happen. And a lot of the time that's imagined. You know, it's about bringing yourself back and asking yourself, is this actually a real situation in my life or is this? Um, and something I'm making up in my mind that I think is going to happen so the facts versus opinions can be really helpful another thing and so that's kind of a mindset strategy like breathing techniques can never go underestimated you know and really really beneficial for us to just take them deep breaths and and I suppose especially you know in like sometimes people might say and I always say this to my clients like let's not make a job out of this because they might say oh geez I don't have time to do that breathing today like we can actually do it like you can do it in the shower you can do it driving the car you know you can do it you know boiling the kettle at home for the cup of tea like it's about making it practical rather than a job yeah um grounding techniques as well really beneficial so as I was saying earlier in, in in our conversation about you know when I was doing my decision making with the career break it's about or the pension people telling me about the pension jesus and it's years down the road thank god um it's about bringing yourself back really to the here and now sure none of us knows what's going to happen at any stage in our life and i suppose that's the uncertainty that can create anxiety for people so i treat a lot of people who experience worry excessive worry And what that like a lot of the time, then people who are worried are thinking about the future and the future being seen as a negative outcome. So it's what like that. What if I don't get a pension when I'm 65? You know, what if I'm homeless? Like they're the worst case scenario. So it's about bringing yourself back. Like I'm not I have jesus how many years 35 oh no geez, i don't i have 26 years jesus to 65 <laughs> <laughs> a, a few years it? on yourself <laughs> um it's about bringing yourself back to today and yeah. i suppose that's the thing about uncertainty is we all have uncertainty but people who worry a lot are trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future or if i worry enough i'll know what's going to happen when the worst case scenario happens
0: yeah and, of- and it's nearly like doing that where you think you're preparing yourself for the worst as in like you know now if that happens it's okay I've I've dealt with it nearly you know in a way I used to kind of be like like I remember when my first my son was born and I like I, I obviously I'd say it was pretty, quite postnatal at the time now I, I ended up like you know I, I wasn't long after my anxiety but I remember being convinced he was going to die like I was just mm-hmm. like but I remember being handed all these leaflets like and just you know on like cut death and all the different fucking things that could go wrong and I like I was 23 I was terrified I was only recovering from an anxiety disorder as it was and they should have known that like and um it was um I was literally but it was nearly like I had prepared it all in my head so that when it happened I'd be ready for it like like how, how fucked up is that
1: it's so common, though, because yeah. that's the fear and the anxiety that's causing you to do that. Now he's 13. Now he's grand. <laughs> but,
0: and it's funny, like I've learned to like I don't have any of those irrational fears anymore as a parent. I can I can totally rationalize. And I think as your kids get older as well, because you're dealing with so many everyday kind of um, like they bring so many everyday issues and stresses to you that you don't have time to catastrophize life. Well, maybe that'll change as he gets a little bit older and he's gone out at night. But at the minute yeah. I find I don't have the time to catastrophize anymore, but like I, I've built that skill and just back to that now as well. The, the power of now, I suppose. Did you read that book? But, uh, no, but in general, the, the, um, the power of the present moment, I find the best way for me to do that is to get into nature. Now I'm really lucky. I live by the sea. So I'm yes. about 10 minutes from the sea. And my thing is I walk down, I sit at the beach and like you said, that grounding and I, I will just, I'll make it my walk. I'll walk down. I will sit for five minutes. I'll breathe and I'll just, you know, feel whatever, feel whatever I'm feeling. Sometimes like I remember my dad was really sick in hospital and I was down and I was, you know, I walked down and it was just letting off steam and I, you know, I was down there and I was crying and then there's other times I'm down there and I'm feeling really grateful. And there's, you know, there's different Experiences there, but it always brings me into the present moment and takes me out of that catastrophizing mind and learning to just kind of trust what will be, will be, and I'll deal with it when it comes. And then I can go back to my life and continue. So that's kind of one thing, one practice I really do kind of try and promote with my clients when they're on this health and fitness journey as well is you need to make that time for you because if everything is so stressful, nothing's going to be able to change. And when you have that present moment time, you, you you can rationalize what is actually a real stress.
1: Yeah, like it's giving yourself that headspace, yeah. you know, rather than the racing mind. And, and like that, when we do bring ourselves back to the here and now, it's amazing what can happen for us. Like, you know, and like the grounding exercise that I would um, do with some clients is like the five senses, similar mm-hmm. to what you said there. So what you can see, what you can, um, what you can see, what you can feel, what you can hear, what you can smell, what you can taste, you know, it's about bringing yourself back to the here and now. And it's actually amazing what we'll notice, like, you know, I remember doing this um, with one client and I was actually doing an online session and they felt their table and they were like, "I'm living here thirty years, and I haven't noticed the feeling of the table before because we're so busy all the time." Yeah. So it's simple little things that can actually, like, as you said, like give yourself that space. Yeah, and I think
0: when, like, I was like in the midst of anxiety and just you know or even just being really stressed all the time and the mind just going constantly there was no way in hell I was going to be able to lie down and do a meditation at that time I just there was no way that my mind would would slow down but like what Mm -hmm. I find a great like I said walking to the beach so by the time I Mm -hmm. get there I've walked out some of my frustration and so that I can actually sit whereas like if I was in the midst of giving out to everyone for homework and you know and then cooking dinner and then I went to like lie in my bed there's no way even now that I'd be able to calm my mind and it's another way that exercise is great so like you know getting into the gym like I love just getting in with the headphones and my alone time and I put on my gangster wrap and I you know lift my heavy weights and to me it is a form of meditation I'm not thinking about anything else except what I'm doing in that very moment and it's brilliant
1: yeah. yeah I love that as well like god my treadmill is broken at the moment and I re really, I miss it so much because that's what I would do as well every morning I try and get up before the house is up yeah and like that get the 30 minutes in because like that that's one thing that really helps my my head too is just the exercise and zoning in on you know listening to music or you know if it is a podcast it's amazing what them simple things can do. And like there, what you asked earlier about burnout, like them little things, even if it is that you're wrecked and you don't want to get out of bed, it's about like, how useful is it for me to sit in the bed and overthink? Or do I need to just jump out of the bed and do it?
0: This is where the, um, I, I do the five minute action with my clients. So I'm like, you know, get like, so you come home from work. Oh, I have to go and do my workout now. or to do my walk. Oh, I'm too tired. and be like, no. Like, you might be too tired. You might be coming down with something. You might be sick. But commit to five minutes. Go Walk out your door and walk for five minutes. If you don't feel good after five minutes, you can turn back and come home. But... What's going to happen is after five minutes, you're going to feel more than likely it's mental tired, tiredness and stress. You're going to feel better. I used to do that myself when I was teaching and I was going to the gym in the evening and I'd be wrecked because I was doing a job I wasn't supposed to be doing. Really, I like it. It wasn't suited to me. And then I had small kids at home and I would get out, go to the gym and I'd be like, I'll just go and I'll tell your man now who's doing the class that, um, I'm not feeling great. I'll, I'll see how I get on after the workout. And I'd have this on my head. I wouldn't say anything to him. I get there. I'd, I'd like, I'll I'd leave after the warm up if I'm too tired. And I never did because I always felt better. So I think we do need to just push ourselves sometimes that
1: little bit. You don't have to commit to an hour, five minutes. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like in CBT, we'd call that the 10 minute rule. Exactly what you're doing there. Like try it out for 10 minutes. And if you want to stop, fair enough. At least you've 10 minutes achieved. Well, yeah. as you said generally we don't and i do that then in the treadmill as well like, oh, i'll stop in five minutes and then i kind of push on I'll, I'll do another five yeah so like all of us can struggle with motivation from time to time and again it's going back to like we're all human beings it's about yeah. normalizing that too what we do know is we will feel better afterwards yeah definitely do you know yeah. i don't know if you follow um mel robbins yes she's brilliant. she's brilliant i love her yeah. And she has that five, four, three, two, one. I'd use that on myself when I am struggling to get motivated. So, like if you're in bed and you start to overthink five, four, three, two, one, get out of the bed. And you know, yeah. if you if you actually move, movement can make a massive difference to our mindset as well. Cause our head supports our body and our body supports our head. You know, sometimes we can forget about that with you know, especially people can be so focused on physical health we forget that actually we need the mental part too to kind of get us going. Yeah, and it's actually all connected, like. Big time, yeah. Yeah. Because when I'm doing my workshops now, I do mental fitness training with people. That's one workshop that I facilitate with um, companies or schools. And it's amazing who people, the amount of people that aren't aware of what mental fitness is. And then everyone will put up their hand, they all know about physical fitness. What is mental fitness? So mental fitness is about, is about our brain. So getting our brain in good shape by doing things to help us. So like that, what we've talked about here today. So doing our breathing exercise, grounded exercises, um, doing, we'll say, CBT techniques, um so like all of that is about getting our brain in good shape and that helps thin with resilience so if our brain is in good shape we're able to bounce back quicker to situations that are stressful or anxiety provoking so like let's say right that we're only doing our breathing techniques here now and again like that can be really helpful but it's not kind of helping our brain be in good shape yeah so our brain is a muscle So for our for for our brain to stay in good shape, we need to carry out certain strategies to help with that. Yeah. So similar to our physical health, you know, so mental fitness is all around kind of keeping yourself in good shape, similar to our physical fitness. So it's amazing. we would be on about the gym and going to the gym for our physical health, but it's actually for our mental health as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's so
0: true, like that we like I suppose when you're exercising your brain, it's really doing exercises to slow it down a bit really isn't it rather than the opposite of like you know going running to get your heart rate to get your heart rate up you're getting your like cognitive stuff slowing down a bit
1: yeah exactly exactly so it's all them kind of strategies that can really help um with our with our mindset but it's
0: so interesting and i was just saying this um to someone I was talking to recently, to from all the people I've been talking to lately, you know, yoga teachers, Reiki masters, yourself, breathwork coaches, you know, um, it all mindfulness coaches, it all comes down to slowing down that constant monkey mind as I as I call it. You know, it's just it's that constant chatter that's controlling us basically it is really just whether it is physical exercise whether it's breath work whether it's meditation whether it's reiki whether it's therapy whether all the different things and obviously it depends on the person and the circumstances but that's really Mm. what we're trying to do isn't it we're trying to slow that down and tap into something else I suppose into a different area of the brain really
1: yeah like and I suppose you know sometimes I don't know if you find this like on like when i'm posting on social media sometimes people can find it hard like their tips obviously like sometimes then people are like oh this isn't working and that's where people need support either through uh, therapist or a mental health professional you know sometimes i think like with social media it can actually be hard going on people i'm sure you find the same with people that are following you and using your tips to lose weight or get fit They may need you rather than all these tips. These tips can be really helpful, but yeah, support is so important, especially
0: when it comes to mental health. And I think and I think I'd I'd love to hear your opinions on the wellness industry in general. I think there's a lot of positive in it. I think that we're so lucky that we have this information that we can put these practices in place like journaling, like meditation, like grounding, all of these things, yoga, everything that we can put in place to help. Live healthy lives, kind of, you know, so we're physically, mentally, and I suppose emotionally healthy. But that doesn't replace when it when we need professional help it's the same as like you know there, there's a certain scope of practice that's just you know if someone comes to me and they're like oh I need help and I have this condition that condition I'm like you need to go to your doctor and get referred to a registered dietitian that's you know it's medical and there's difference and sometimes when we get to that stage of stress or you know or we have a lot of imbalance in our lives that we just do need help and I think everyone should do therapy first of all I know not everyone's maybe uh, financially in a position um but I think it's made me who I am today the CBT
1: that's brilliant that's so lovely to hear that though it's true you know, and and like you know it's obviously you've learned a lot around about yourself with that then it opened this whole door for me because after that then I got into yoga
0: and I had this fantastic yoga teacher because I, I used to do these yoga courses every summer as like a, a CBT not CBT no, sorry. A, uh, prof- professional development course every summer I can't even remember what they're called now CPD yep. <laughs> PG, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, so I used to do like this yoga and wellness course and then it would be kind of to implement it in the classroom with kids which was amazing um, Brilliant. but um I, it opened this door of personal development for me and then just the stuff that I started reading and then just really got into it like I never like I never qualified as a yoga teacher or you know but I feel like my journey down that way is not finished yet like I'm I'm really curious Um, but it's definitely led me down this yeah of understanding my thoughts and it's funny it's all coming back to me now when you're explaining what CBT is Uh, about like noticing your thoughts and how it's affecting your actions and how your thoughts make you feel a certain way and how you feel makes you do i'm like oh i do this all the time yeah i just i've just it's become normal now that i forget that that's what i learned back then
1: yeah yeah and that that's the thing like you've become your own cbt therapist and like that's the aim with cbt it's about becoming your own cbt therapist by learning them skills yeah you know and, and i think that's why i love it so much is because you can help people so much to become their own therapist to be able to cope better.
0: But I think what I've done with myself now in recent years, so I've obviously spent like the years after that, really just kind of minding myself and getting myself back to this really good mental space but I think in recent years I've managed to you know the way you said that your brain just believes like that you just believe the thoughts we've no control over them and we just we need to be able to separate what's real and what's not but I think Mm -hmm. now I've got to the stage where I'm kind of manipulating that and kind of going Mm -hmm. down that whole affirmation visualization I know we don't even have we don't have enough time to get into this this podcast but um I I've I now I'm able to to manifest Like, you know, I, I, I now will just say things and I'll just, I'll feel it. Like I'll believe it. I'm like, especially with the business, like I know I'm going to achieve this. I know I can do this. I can now lean into things and make big decisions and, um, know that I'm on the right path. Like I just, I know it. Everything from the anxiety to everything I've read, every person I've come in contact with since then has all brought me on this journey. And I know I'm on the right journey and I don't necessarily know exactly where it's going to go, but if I set myself a goal, I will feel it. Like I'll know I'm going to get it. I don't I know how I'm going to get it, but I'll know it. And I, I think it's it's using that, wh- whereas I used to really believe I was going to die. I was going to, you know, I was going to just drop dead or I was going to this, that, and the other, or, you know, or the baby was going to die or, the, you know, all these catastrophizing things mm-hmm. that made mm-hmm. me feel horrible. Obviously, none of those things happened. But yeah. by feeling these really exciting, good things, it's actually making them happen, which is interesting
1: yeah yeah oh that sounds so lovely though in terms of obviously not the part where you think you thought you were going to die or your son jesus that was that must have been really really hard for you but it's so lovely you know that i can even hear it and you and see it that the drive you have for your business it's just fabulous my, my business is me it's funny like it's it's something that like
0: i created like it's literally my soul like it's you know and it's funny and I said it to one of my friends recently I was like I actually love my business as much as I love my kids I know we're not <laughs> supposed to say that but I do
1: I love it the same as my kids it's like my fourth child I know that's what I'd say too it's my fifth baby yeah um, I nearly spend more time with my my fifth baby than I do with my children sometimes how do so... you how do you manage that mom guilt I mean, I,
0: because I do want to kind of touch on this a little bit before we finish up because that's something I really struggle with. Like I said, you know, I've no problem saying how much I love my business and how I'm so excited for my own goals. And maybe I feel like I'm just making up time for that time where I was kind of um, imprisoned in fear. And I'm making up for that now a little bit in my thirties, but my, you know, my smallest is five and I can kind of do, he's in school now. I have a little bit more time. My oldest is 13. I have a 10 year old, but I still do. Sometimes I've like, I've, and it's funny because my husband doesn't feel it like he'd be up in the attic working all day and he does not feel guilty for it whereas I'm at the kitchen table working and I'm like oh like Kai's in there and he's been watching tv all day and you know this and I just I feel so guilty and then I'm like I don't know I don't know how to balance it or you know I'm gone I'm doing something else and I'm like oh I should be at home with the kids but then when I'm at home with them too much I get cross with them and they annoy me <laughs>
1: well I find but I'm at home they don't want me they're gone to another room How old are your yeah, kids? So, so my the, the age um so the oldest is 11 7 5 and 3 oh, wow, yeah. so the last two there's only 18 months between them and yeah I definitely get the mom guilt too and then I have to again go back to CBTing myself and I suppose you know looking at it you know you're doing it for you but you're doing it for your family as well you know that kind of way um i'd often pass remark to my my uh, my colleague if i don't work they don't have their underpences and you know that's that's the other side of it you know financially i have to work um so you kind of have to i suppose separate it up I, but it is hard I never and i think felt it's guilty as a
0: teacher like I, I never you know it was like they went to the my older two they went to a childminder and yeah. i went to work and and kai as well for for the uh, first couple of years like I went to work and it was that was work time and I never thought about them in work and I came home and I never thought about work when I was at home but I think as I never switch off from it now yeah I feel like I, they're not getting all of me or something but then like I I'm not built to be at home full time with them either yeah so
1: like yeah, I suppose it's different when you were working like the way I was working it's nine to five like you don't like like you my hours are very flexible in terms of like I, I'm not a nine to five person now I could be making calls at eight o'clock at night to people you know that kind yeah. of a, my job is very much around my kids so I do school hours or if they're off I might work in the evenings. so it's very flexible in that sense and that's why it works for me but the other side of it in terms of your question with managing mom guilt like i use an awful lot of compassion so compassion can be so powerful rather than beating yourself up what I should be doing and I should be with them. It's about like, this is really hard and I'm trying my best here, you know, and I'm trying to be um, the best I can be,
0: Yeah.
1: you know, rather than beating yourself up. But it's also about acknowledging like that this, you know, that I suppose that everything isn't brilliant, that if, if if it isn't, you know, and acknowledging that this is really hard, You know, um, rather than the critic coming in and telling you everything you should be doing and you're a bad mother because you're not with them and all this kind of crack, you know that our mind can easily go to that. Yeah. So it's about pulling yourself back if you're noticing that that is happening. So I think compassion can be so powerful.
0: Yeah, and it's funny sometimes I think I like I think about myself and I'm like, I wonder. am I, I sometimes I just feel a little bit selfish with it all I feel a little bit self-centered or something I don't know like it and it's I don't know where that comes from like it's you know whereas my whole job is is helping other people Um yet I feel like I feel like a selfish mother like that I'm like oh no it's all about me and they just slot in I don't know and I don't know where that comes from but uh, um interesting
1: but I suppose just to ask you like what was your reason for leaving or going on a career break
0: because I wanted to build my business
1: and what else what was that for what was the meaning of you building your business
0: because I wanted to do something that I really wanted to do that like you know I wanted to make a difference I wanted to help people in a way like it just I started doing it on the side and I loved how it made me feel and I'm like I want to do this all the time and I also yeah and I wanted the flexibility as well to be at home more with the kids too yeah
1: so it's about your values with that isn't it you know because like even for me when I was working in the HSC I didn't feel fulfilled because I was a piece of everyone I was a piece of my children I was a piece of private work and I was a piece of the HSC so like my priority was obviously I loved what I I did and I wanted my business to to expand but it was also for my kids you know that kind of way yeah and because we can look at it like whatever way we want but if we're going looking at it in a selfish way that's not going to be helpful for us when you're looking at the whole picture you're doing it for your three kids you're doing it for your for your home you know the flexibility you know and I suppose like I think it's the long hours that can kind of come back to us because like that it's not the nine to five and turn off your phone Mm -hmm. like And even I know like the nine
0: to five mums listening will feel this. My sister had a baby last October and she's back to work now and she works Monday to Friday, nine to five like that and is finding it so hard at the minute, that constant, yeah. like just in that it rat race of working and getting the baby sorted and you know, spend a few hours with her having the weekend and catching up with everyone. And it's, she's like, she's exhausted. And it like, it's, it's just such a hard time for women. And like when I had my older two, I was a teacher. It was a little bit easier. It was much more family friendly in that way um and like a lot of women have you know like they have to kind of pause on that climbing the ladder you know that yeah um, men men don't have to do most men don't have to do you know and um it's hard like now saying that if they if something's got to give like my sister and her husband like they're perfectly happy to talk about who takes a step back in their careers and stuff you know but um it's just it's so hard and there is that guilt and but there is that also and like, because myself and my sister grew up, my mom was a teacher, so she always worked. She went back to work when we were six weeks old, like always worked, loved her job. And she was all, like, my um my parents are still together and uh, they're both retired now, but they have very independent lives. And my mom has always been so independent. And I think that's really stood to me and my sister. And it's only as I've seen other people, like friends of mine, when they settle down and have completely different values when it comes to uh, parenting. And, you know, being being a mother and running a household and a lot of it all falls on them. Whereas w- when me and Dave bought the house, um, everything would just went 50 50. But that was just automatic to me because mm-hmm. that's the way my mother taught me. So I think sorry, I'm coming to a point with this. Um, So I think with when we do feel guilty as moms that we're working and we don't have as much time for our kids as we want, we're also showing them. That we're working or that we're building yeah. a business or that we're doing something um. And sometimes we're only doing it. We want to be home with them full time, but we're doing it because we
1: have to. And we're, but we're showing them that. Yeah, that's just it. And like that, it is something that we have to do to provide, you know, that kind of way. And like, I suppose for anyone that is in a position to stay at home then with their kids, like that's not easy either. Jesus, mine, mine were like, I'd say I heard ma'am, around 500 times today you know it's not easy to be at home I stay at home either and then and then because I work with a lot of women
0: then that would be at home with small kids and they lose a little bit of themselves And, Mm. and that's what we'd work on with my program is kind of finding a bit of space for them again but that's hard too like that and it's and but then I find it, we get into this kind of politics where women love to shame women. It's like, oh, she's she's never there at the football games because she's always working, or she's oh, she thinks she like she's nothing better to do but stand at the gate and gossip. And you've got all this narrative that women are talking about each other, and it's like I just don't understand it at all.
1: Yeah, and they could be, but you know what? I think it's nobody's business, only your own. Exactly. And everyone's right for you. What's and right it. for your family? exactly yeah. and it is you know you like I suppose that's where the compassion comes in it's about like acknowledging it if if life is hard and that you are doing the best you can and I think the best advice with that is what would you say to a friend because we can give the best advice ever to friends and it's about kind of like taking that advice yourself yeah you know that kind of way yeah um and like as as moms no matter how many children you have if you've won or if you've six or whatever it is you know it's still hard yeah you know um because even your sister there like I remember or when you were saying about your first child like I remember being handed my first child and thinking oh my god I have to cut his nails now I have to wash him do you know yeah I was used to babysitting in and handy him back for that kind of job yeah you're like you the yeah. only think about the pregnancy and your first one
0: then you're like oh god look at this tiny person that I have to now look after and
1: yeah yeah it's overwhelming, yeah yeah so- You know, it's it's not easy, but I think that's where the compassion can be so powerful with that.
0: Yeah. right, last question before we finish up. What does the word health mean to you?
1: What does the word health mean? Um, I suppose it means how how we feel in ourselves mentally and physically though. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the time we can be so focused on physical, whereas an actual fact it can hit off our mental health as well so health to me it's so so important it's Jesus it's only when you get sick you realize how important health is so the meaning of health is everything for I suppose for our lives in the present and the future and I suppose it hits off personal professional family life everything so combining it I think we need to make sure that we're not forgetting our mental health like we can do comparing to our physical health yeah so I hope that answers your (laughs) question
0: no I ask everybody because it's so interesting because I suppose I'm still kind of I, I ask it because I'm still searching myself a little bit and it's really interesting to hear from different people from different areas that um of expertise if you know what I mean so that's brilliant thank you so much Sharon for coming on today
1: thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely no, chatting with I've you.
0: I've loved the conversation though, seriously. And I've learned so much and it's brought so much back for me. So anyway, apologies, anyone listening, if that, that felt a little bit like a K therapy session, but I got a lot from it. <laughs> no, there's thank you. No, like you've given so much uh, valuable information there and uh, advice. So if people want to reach out to you, like you, you provide online um, therapy as well, don't you?
1: Yeah, so I do in-person and online. So online can be great for people who are living all around the country or outside of Ireland. Um, but yeah, so my Instagram and Facebook and TikTok um, is Mindview Clinic CBT, And I have a website as well, uh, www.mindviewclinic.ie. So people can contact me either through email at hello at mindviewclinic.ie or... Or through my phone number, but all the details are on my website. On the website, yeah. So I'll share your
0: website on the show notes, and that way people can can go in through there and they can um, book in with you or get in contact with you if they'd like to have a chat. That's
1: perfect. Thank you so much. Sharon,
0: thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope that you enjoyed the episode and you got as much out of it as I did. So before I finish up, I just want to say a few quick words on my eight week Nourish, Move and Shine program. So the Nourish, Move and Shine program is group coaching specifically designed for busy ladies. So busy mums, busy professionals, a mix of both. Um, With individual check-ins each week, it has all the perks of the one-to-one coaching with the support and atmosphere and community of the group coaching. So it really is win-win. So I'm a busy working mum of three myself. So I know the challenges that you face. I know how difficult it can be to make time for yourself. Sometimes it can feel impossible. So um, I do get it. Um, It is suitable for anyone who wants to make healthy changes to their lives. So anyone from beginners to people looking for a reset and a refocus. It's not a restrictive diet. You won't get a meal plan. I don't believe in meal plans. And it's about making small changes gradually to build the foundations for lasting change. So what's included? personalized calories and hand portions food lists step goals at home or gym based workouts whichever you prefer you'll have four work, workout programs to choose from mindset work which is a huge important part of the program which i think sets it apart from a lot of programs out there and um, you will have app access you'll be in a whatsapp group for support which is always a fantastic resource and um great community one-to-one support through email and whatsapp so you'll have access to me one-to-one on whatsapp and um, and email as well fun challenges throughout the eight weeks measurements and progress checks every four weeks so we don't take our weight or measurements or photos every week we do it every four weeks because who has time to be doing it every week and i don't think that it's particularly beneficial to be doing it every single week but you will have your weekly check-in form to fill out and you will hear back from me individually every week so there is no Hiding from me, uh, there's no hiding in this program. But you will always be met, met with kindness, understanding, and never judgment. I don't take that drill sergeant approach, but I'm very much kind of solution orientated and will help guide you for the week ahead to overcome whatever God, obstacles you're facing to reach your goals. So, if you're interested, contact me on any of my social media: um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Kate Hamilton Health. There's a link in the bio of each of those pages as well, where you can actually sign up. And um, you can also do so on my website, which is katehamiltonhealth.com. So it runs every eight weeks throughout the year. So then, as I'm recording this, we are going into the current one on the 10th of July. But there will also be a program starting early September. And again, in late October, so there will be there'll be two more programs after. the So there'll be July, September and end of October will be the last for this year. And we will have more in the new year then again also. So I will chat to you all again
1: soon.